generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the teaching of Jonah, preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. The word of the Lord. Well, it's daylight savings time. Uh, we were a little bit light right at the beginning as things happened. Let's be honest with one another. Who was caught by the, uh, by the daylight uh, savings time change? Go ahead if you were caught. Okay, there are a couple of honest people in this place. I'm so glad to hear that. I think the text that Redeemer sent out maybe got people thinking. You know, who came up with such a kooky idea anyways, right? It was Benjamin Franklin of Pennywise Pound Foolish who came up with the idea. Franklin woke up one day and it was bright. And he said to himself, now Franklin slept late. He was a big party guy. We all know that. He said, well, what if we shifted the day because then there'd be more daylight at the end of the day and we wouldn't have to use as many candles. Very practical. Well, in World War I, the uh, Germans started, they took that thinking to mind. In order to save money for the war effort, they changed in France and everybody changed their clocks in order to save uh, uh, money. Uh, as soon as World War I was over, the farmers changed it back because they liked things the way, just the way they were in terms of the hours for farming are a little different than uh, for fighting, I guess. Well, 1942, World War II, it happened again. They changed the clocks. And it was finally changed in 1966 to be a perpetual, um, um, uh, whatever you call it, uh, you know, action. Though it's not observed by all the states, by the way. If you live in Arizona, no daylight savings time. They sort of, please. Neither does Hawaii, but then again, they can do whatever they want. What are, what are we going to do over there, right? Um, there are people for and against daylight savings times. The proponents against says that um, it doesn't save energy, and they have the stats to prove it. They also show that the body never quite adjusts to the change. And in fact, that very week that daylight savings time comes along, 17% of traffic fatalities increase from sleeping issues. Remember the Exxon Valdez? Enough said. Sleeping issue. Daylight savings, huh? A lot of arctic turns. Pretty upset with daylight savings. Proponents, though, for daylight savings say it brings lower crime. And an extra hour of sunlight uh, is a good thing for socializing and for retailing. For me, I like having more light outside when I get home. I like being able to 
come and sit and enjoy my yard and see my family and neighbors sort of come out like uh, moles from their burrow. I like daylight savings time. The sermon is about light and darkness. But as I think about daylight savings, I think that my life can sometimes be a little bit about light and darkness. In the sense of I'm trying to balance those two things. I'm trying to maximize the light that I give off, if you will, the goodness that I have, and I'm trying to minimize the darkness that I have. Increase goodness and holiness, decrease darkness and evil. That's the game that most people play. If you were to go down to the beach and ask people, why are you going to go to heaven? They would say, because I do good things. And so in some ways we're trying to find that perfect equation of light and darkness. But never do we really think that we can get rid of darkness. But Jesus seems to take a different approach when he's talking about light and darkness. He's talking about it in a spiritual sense. That this light and darkness does not come from without, but rather it emanates from within. It's not a question of switching one on and switching the other off. Either it's a one or the other. Your whole body is full of light or it's full of darkness. Indeed, he says, take great care what is inside you, that the light that is inside you is not darkness. Because Jesus understood something that we all understood. That whatever is within will ultimately come out. That we cannot switch the issues from the outside. You know, the reality is the darkest place in the world is the human heart. The hum humanity is capable of horrible things. If you don't believe me, just turn on the news. Just look around and you can see the darkness that exists in the human heart. Truth is, I don't even need to really turn on the news. Sometimes I just need to look in the mirror. The feelings that I have that sometimes come out of nowhere. When things good happen to someone and I respond in a way that makes me think, what's going on with your heart? Where did that come from? There's a darkness. Jesus is saying that the problem of the world is not something that can be managed out there simply manipulating light and darkness, good and evil. The problem has to be fixed from the inside. What if there was no darkness in our souls? What if there was only light? What if we responded to people in love instead of doubt and greed and selfishness? What if we saw the best? What if we weren't so jaded and cynical and selfish? The question I have for us today is this, who can remake us? For we are surely broken. Jesus Christ came to bring light into the darkness of our hearts. For in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The only person that can bring light into the darkness of our hearts is Jesus. And when you choose to believe him, you will see. As I'm going to show you in the next four hours, 
What we think the solution is, is to see better. When I see right, I will believe. But I want to suggest to you that seeing is not believing, but rather believing is seeing. It's only when you believe that you will truly see. Well, what do I mean about that? Let's break this down. Number one, excuse me, we have to acknowledge the darkness of the human heart. Let's take a look at that. Luke eleven twenty nine. When the crowds were increasing, Jesus began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given. By the way, this is great preaching. If you want to start off a sermon, I think you start with this lead right here. This generation is an evil generation. Welcome to Redeemer. He's referencing what happened right before this. Jesus has healed a mute person. And some of the crowd is saying he's doing that by Satan. And other parts of the crowd are testing him looking for an additional sign from heaven. They want more signs. And Jesus responds to this sign seeking saying this generation is an evil generation. Is it evil because it seeks for a sign? No, because the sign that Jesus has already given is not enough. Jesus said in a different place, When evening comes, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the sign of the times. You know, Jesus is this, he does something, and the people interpret it in such a way that it is radically different, in fact, opposite than what Jesus is doing. That's why he's saying it's an evil generation. In fact, Jesus compares this generation to other generations. Luke 32, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with the gener- this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Remember, Nineveh was an ancient Babylonian city, past Babylonia. They weren't Jewish. They didn't have the Torah. They didn't have the law. They were a bunch of wicked people. And Jonah goes to them and simply says, 40 days and this land will be overthrown unless you repent. And they heard and they repented. What about this? The queen of the south, verse 31, will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold... Something greater than Solomon is here. The queen of the south is the queen of Sheba, who it is rumored came from Ethiopia and Africa, all the way to hear the wisdom of Solomon, which was godly wisdom given by God to Solomon. And she heard, and she honored God. She wasn't a Jew. She didn't have the information. And yet she knew truth when she heard it. And she responded Now Jesus is so upset at this generation because both of these other generations are comprised of Gentiles. These are Jewish people. They knew nothing of the Bible. These people have the Torah. They had Jonah and and Solomon and standing before these people is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Why don't they see who is in front of them? You see, spiritual darkness functions different than physical darkness. 
Let's say we were in a closet, okay, and it was dark. A very large closet, mind you. And we saw a crack of light down at the bottom because someone was approaching. The light shines into the darkness, taking away the darkness. That's how physical darkness and light works. That's how we, why we light our homes at night. But spiritual darkness is the exact opposite. You see, in spiritual darkness, the more light you bring, the more powerful the darkness is. Here is the one who is the light of the world, and yet as he shines, the darkness actually increases in their hearts. They, Jesus heals a mute. They say he's in league with Lucifer. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and they immediately plot begin to plot on how to kill him. Spiritual darkness functions the exact opposite. See, it's not as simple as bringing spiritual light into the presence of spiritual darkness. See, that's what we think. If they see, they will believe. No, no, there's more than that. We've got to untangle this. Look at Luke 11.34. This will help explain. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of, of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Now the way we take that is your eye is the lamp of the body. But really the eye takes in the light that is out in the world. We know this scientifically to be true. It's the light being reflected off stuff that gives us light. They did not believe that back then. They believed in a principle, a scientific principle called extramission. Extramission means this, that light was generated from inside their eyes and went out. You ever look at like the Roman statues and they have these big eyes? Okay, or the evil eye, you've heard that term? What that means is what is inside is emanating out. Not what is outside is influencing in. And so the issue is, if the eye is bad, there is already a darkness that is within the human heart. That can't simply be fixed by seeing that which is good. It has to be changed from the inside out. This is the reason why the scriptures say that there is no one that seeks God. Not one. Save something or someone entering into our hearts, we will always see darkness. I'm sure all of you have been following, I've even discussed this before, the great uh, scientific uh, dis uh, discovery about gravitational waves, right? Gravitational waves, um, uh, it has shown, verified the existence of black holes. And as all of you know and have studied, and we'll go home and study today. What is a black hole? It's essentially a collapsing star. What it means is a, uh, this star, when it gets old, instead of exploding, implodes. And the, the gravitational pull of it imploding is so powerful that it, it creates a whirlpool of sorts. It's so powerful that nothing can escape it. The planet cannot escape it. Even the light itself from the planet cannot escape it. And everything is pulled and sucked into this black hole. It literally is a true hole in space. 
Where it leads, we don't know. But I think that is a picture of the fallen human heart. That our hearts have collapsed inside on the weight of our evil deeds. And the pull of evil is so powerful that not even light can escape it. Rather, anything that we see is consumed into darkness. If that is an evil generation, what does that say about us who stand on the other side of the resurrection? The point I'm trying to make, my friends, is that Christianity is not about reformation because we can't reform ourselves. It's not about choosing door A and getting rid of door B. We desperately need someone who has the ability to come in to change our hearts from the inside out so that we see light because we are light. So how are you trying to change? It's from the outside in? Going to get more religion? Going to get more serious about Bible study? going to get more serious about how I act. I'm going to make more rules. I'm not saying those things are bad, by the way. But I'm going to change my behavior. I'm going to stop being so cruel to other people. I'm going to give more in church. I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to start doing the right thing. The truth is, without a change in our hearts, all of those things in some way, shape, or form are skewed. They're not pure. They're not right. They don't add up to a changed heart. And so the first step that you and I have to do is to acknowledge that we are blind. In fact, Jesus' condemnation with the Pharisees was, because you claim to see, you are blind. See, we are blind, but we can acknowledge that. And when we are honest about that, now we are in a place where we're ready to open our hearts to someone who can do something with our human heart. Jesus moves on to point two. He does say that he will give us a sign that we can understand. A sign that seems to have power to move us, to move from the inside out. Jesus says this evil generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be a sign to this generation. Well, how is Jonah a sign? Remember Jonah, we already spoke about Nineveh. Well, Jonah was a prophet. <laughs> okay. Just checking the veggie tail people out there. Okay. It's a song. Stay with me. Jonah was a prophet and, gosh, I can't even say it myself without joking. <clears throat> Jonah is commanded to go preach to the Ninevites. Jonah promptly does a 180 and heads the exact opposite direction in the direction of Spain. He wants nothing to do with those evil people. So he boards a ship incognito, goes asleep underneath. You remember the story. The storm swells. They know something's up. They can't figure out what's going on. They find Jonah. Jonah confesses. He says, throw me over the side. And God caused a great fish to swallow Jonah. People 
laugh at that. Seems impossible. Probably so. There are, by the way, several fish that could do this. I've done my research. The sulfur bottom whale, about 100 feet long, or the whale shark, both with a mouth 10 to 12 feet wide. Both, actually one with four to six compartments in their stomach. Indeed, the nasal sinus chamber, seven feet by 14 feet of the sulfur bottom whale. But you already knew that, didn't you? Jonah was swallowed three days in the belly of a fish and then vomited up three days later. Jonah finally got a clue and went and preached. And they repented. Jewish tradition tells us that the Ninevites actually knew what had happened to Jonah when he showed up. It was a sign, so to speak. I mean, frankly, Jonah's preaching wasn't that impressive. It was about two sentences. But what had happened to Jonah was what made them think, we better listen to this person. See, the sign of Jonah was Jonah. In the same way, the sign of Jesus was Jesus. See, the reason this sign was given is because the only place darker than the human heart is the grave. See, the heart at least has a chance for light. But the grave has no chance. There's a chance for change with the heart. The grave is finality. The grave is the ultimate darkness. The ultimate death. There is no coming back. Like a whale swallowing a person. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the ultimate proof of Jesus' identity and power. Because Jesus is the sign. God is the one who created life. Death is the result of sin. But God says, see now that I myself am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death, I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal. And no one can deliver out of my hand. The life giver. Jesus says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life. And only to take it up again. Nobody takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And authority to pick it up again. Who killed Jesus? The answer is no one. I mean physically speaking the Romans did. Jesus laid down his life. Other religions. And I don't mean to be disrespectful of any religion. We've been studying Islam. But the truth of the matter is. It really doesn't matter what Muhammad did or didn't do. Because Islam is not based on what Muhammad did, but rather on what Muhammad said. Jesus did not do that at all. Jesus said, the sign is the Son of Man. What I did. The resurrection is the ultimate sign of ultimate power. And as God can bring life from death, so can he bring light from darkness in the human heart. But my friends, here's the beauty of it. If the resurrection is the sign of ultimate power, it's also the sign of ultimate love. See, Jonah went unwillingly, so to speak, to his death. Jesus laid down his life freely. 
Jesus came for the express purpose of dying. Jesus understood what was in a man and he knew that the only way to bring light into the human heart was to bring darkness into himself. See, I think most of us can maybe believe in a powerful God. But a loving one? One who would die? Who would take on my darkness that he might bring his light into my heart? That's the sign of Christianity. A crucified Savior. The love of the gospel is what moves us. When we understand that he died and he rose again, we're in awe. But when we understand that he died and he rose again for me, now we're in love. You know, there's a second part of this sign of Jonah. It says, so as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be a sign to this generation. See, when Jonah rose, he went and he preached to Nineveh before calamity struck, right? He'd come back from the grave, so to speak. And so Jesus, who has come back from the grave, preaches this gospel of repentance to all of us. That's the gift of love. I'm showing you a new path. 40 days before Nineveh is overturned. You don't have to walk in darkness. It would make perfect sense that death would be the ultimate finality for men, right? If darkness is in our heart, is darkness not our destiny? But Jesus says, I give you a new path, a new plan. Repent and believe the gospel. Do something now. The generation that Jesus was speaking to right then as he passed through these towns would hear 50 days after, the resurrection, after uh, his crucifixion. The people saying he is risen. He's risen indeed. Alleluia. I wonder how they would respond. Would some of them remember the sign of Jonah? See, his power might have convinced them. But it's his love that compels them. Remember a time in college when I got uh, mononucleosis. Um, the thing was I didn't realize I had mononucleosis. And so the running of the Marine Corps Marathon while having mononucleosis was probably not a good idea. Uh, it's been said that a, a marathon wipes out your immune system, just shreds you. Well, I had mono. And so I really went down, and I went down hard. I went to the student medical center and they had a little test which I found out is not entirely accurate all the time which said I did not have mono. And so here I am not able to finish my finals, barely able to get out of bed and I have no idea what's wrong with me. And that is when the gal I was dating, Lee Ellen, stepped in. And... Uh, really became a nurse to me, if you will. The Bristols, her family, took me into her home. It was right around Thanksgiving break there. And uh, for the next eight months, 
I would be sick on again, off again, on again, off again. People begin to doubt me. I begin to doubt myself. What's, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get better? But the one person who was consistent throughout that time was Lee Ellen. She was there with the saltines and the Sprite. I didn't have my mom. My mom was long away. She was there with the encouragement. She was there uh, with all the things I needed to keep going. And truth be told, that is the way that she has been to me. I hope that I've been to her. You know, when you're back then, you're sick, you don't really think about the cost of the other person, right? You're just trying to survive. But there's always a cost to care. There's always a little bit of dying if you're doing some loving. It's a picture of sacrifice, of giving away oneself that ultimately convinced me that she was the one for me. In Christianity, ultimately, there's only one sign needed. I'm glad he did all of these other fantastic miracles and said things that have rocked the world to its foundation. But the sign that I need is that he is the one that has the power to reach into the darkness and death that exists inside of me. That he's not afraid of it. Indeed, he'll do whatever it takes to overcome me, to fix me, to replace me, to change me. I hope today that you see the power of Christ through the resurrection, but I even hope more that you see the love through the power. Jesus said at the end, If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. There is a darkness inside of us if you are a Christian, but it's a different one. It's not the darkness of who I am. It's the darkness of what I was that's passing away. Because there's a new light inside of me. A new love. A new resurrection. That gives me the power to love the unlovable. To give myself for other people. When you can't remember what this is all about. When you feel like you've lost your way. And you can't live up to Christianity's demands. Look to one sign. The sign of Jesus. The sign of the cross. The nails. The blood. And the sign of the empty tomb. And I will surely be with you always, says Jesus. To the very end of the age. Jesus loves you. Believe and you will see. You'll see everything. The only person that can bring light 
into the darkness of our hearts is Jesus. And when you choose to believe him, then you will see, for believing is seen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the sign. It's the sign of matchless power. It's the sign of life over death. And it's the sign of love. For it was purchased with your pain, the pain of God. Lord, help us to believe, to open our hearts for you to do a radical heart surgery from within so that we might see things for what they really are. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.